Hey Rodney, did you know Slack's been a part of the Ready for as long as I have? You mean like back in the Bryant Park days? You know it. Even when there were only a couple of us working out of a cafe in Midtown, Slack is where we came together to tackle the future of work. Over eight years later, we're fully decentralized across eight time zones, and we still do it all with Slack. That's right, because it's the AI-powered platform for growing your business, keeping your teams connected, and making work legitimately simpler. Now you can get up to speed on a new project with one-click summaries or find exactly what you need, when you need it, with an AI-supercharged search function. It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future. Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Aaron Dignan, and I'm joined at the end of this long week by <laughs> my friend and colleague, Rodney Evans. Hey, guys. Uh, this is the 11th episode in our 13-part Ready for Anything series on finding a better way of working through pandemics and chaos and uncertainty. On today's episode, we're going to talk about membership how we define and cultivate relationships inside our organizations and institutions. That means boundaries and conditions for how we enter and inhabit teams and enter and leave these spaces. Um, I always call it, you know, yada, 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 people stuff. Um, But before we get into all that, uh, you know, people stuff, let's do a check-in round. Let's do a check-in round, like on all the episodes and in all your meetings, because you're all experts in check-in rounds now. Uh, Our check-in round question for today is what is an attribute that you particularly value in a member of your team, Aaron? Um, it's some, it's some intersection between like positivity and intensity. Like mm. I just like when people are, are really pumped about what they're doing. And so that it's meaning that they're doing it with a measure of excitement and, joy or at least a measure of commitment. I don't know. I I get excited when other people are excited. So I kind of want to be around that feeling of like, this is where I was born to be, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like you're often like, I just like that he sweats it. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do. And it doesn't matter what it is. Like I I always used to have this interview question at at my former company where I would ask people like, you know, what's interesting about mayonnaise? Mm. And, And it would just like, you could just tell like the kind of people that were like, Oh, what an issue. You know, mayonnaise. Okay, let's think about it. What is mayonnaise even though? And it was like, that's my kind of part. Like, that's my kind of player. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> now I want to talk about that, but we won't. Right. We will talk about what I value, uh, which is so we have a member joining our team on Monday. And welcome, yes. Alistair. So Hello. excited. And um, a thing that I already value about him, but this, you know, extends much more broadly than this one person is like, he just shows up as someone who is both humble and also self-assured. And, mm. um, uh, you know, I also really, really detest the inverse of that, of people who are deeply insecure <laughs> and show up arrogant. It's my least favorite combo pack. And I just feel like so far, even in the lead up to this, he's just like, I'm in it, asking good questions, not being scared of that but also not pretending I know stuff that I don't know. And I'm like, yes, right, you right. are going to do just fine here. That's such a nice balance. Uh, yeah, so pleasant. I'm impressed by that because I don't know if I'm any good at it. So I like that. Yeah, me neither. But I want other yeah. people to be. So that's great. Great job, yeah. Alistair. So, 
<laughs> so today's topic is membership, which I feel like one of the things that I like about you defining this field when you wrote this book separately is because I think part of why membership gets like a bad rap or like a blah, blah, blah thing is because it gets conflated with culture, which actually has like a lot of different components because culture is an entirely systemic concept. So I like the idea of just splitting out a piece that's like, no, this is where we talk about the yada, yada people stuff relationships. (laughs) So, um, so what does this mean in practice in terms of principles and practices in orgs? Yeah. So I, I think when we were working on this, the idea to your point was that like culture is this emergent read only phenomenon that it sort of emerges out of all the other choices and non choices that you make in the canvas. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't really the space we needed. And there was a lot of stuff in and around people operations and HR and that kind of thing that felt like it needed a place to live, but also a lot of stuff just around the, you know, human identity of teams and systems. And, and this felt like the place to put all that stuff. So this was, this was really about that idea of when we create relationships and particularly groups, we put rings around them and barriers of identity and of behavior and of, of, you know, uh, expectation and agreement. And so, you know, while the OS might represent the kinds of agreements and practices that exist across the organization and even across teams, membership is almost more designed to talk about the fact that like, that's also a fractal phenomenon. And so it's true at the org level, it's true at the, you know, functional level or unit level, it's true at the team level, it might even be true of a partnership. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, I like to think about like, what are the things that make us in or out? What are the things that make us like in congruence and in, you know, kind of coherent with the group and not how much diversity can we tolerate? How much, you know, sort of variance can we tolerate? Um, and what what happens if and how do I move between teams? How do I, you know, identify who I work for and with like all that stuff kind of lives here, which is probably I would think uh, particularly interesting right now when we're away physically from each other. And the very idea of our membership is in crisis when you have I mean, I heard I saw that it's like maybe 10 million people or 10 percent of the U.S. workforce or something mm-hmm. out of work. Mm-hmm. Um, so lots of lots of memberships being tested and challenged right now. Yeah. So I am interested from your perspective about membership and what you've seen out in the wild. What should we be thinking about that is particularly potent now? And then what what are you thinking about when it comes to membership? That's probably just always important and a good thing to you know remember right now. Yeah. This feels like a space to me that because there's so much ink spilled and there are like so many frameworks and experts and. TED Talks, <laughs> that uh, it can get quite complicated. And really, my fundamental belief that I cribbed from the one of the founders and framers of the whole ACT movement is that all questions around membership and, frankly, around like human relationships just come down to a question of belonging. And that <laughs> human beings have this very deep-seated need to belong. We are pack animals. We only thrive in community. We literally die on our own. And that most behavior that is um, like non-useful, unhelpful patterned behavior can in some way be traced to some root of that person suspecting that they don't belong, Mm -hmm, suspecting mm -hmm. that they don't have membership. And when you go through the world with that 
um, like lens on human relationships and interactions, it becomes very easy to do that forensic tracing of like you watch someone sort of behaving (laughs) in the wild and you're like, oh, what group? do you feel like maybe you're on the fringes of, and there's always one, like you can always get to it if you, if you dig deep enough. And so we should always be thinking about that. We should always be thinking about how we make people feel safe and included and like they belong here if they belong here. And (laughs) now is harder to do that because we don't have all of the same signaling socially that we normally would. Um, But I also think, uh, sort of conversely, we need to have a pretty sophisticated conversation about not using belonging uh, and the threat of taking that away as like a power play. Cause right, like right. I've done that myself. Like, you know, I've been the popular girl who's sort of like, I'll let you know if you can come to my birthday party. And I've done that like mm-hmm. my entire life as a move that is very effective. But sure. like right now, more than any other time, like we just need to. Um, you know, put that tool away, make people feel safe to the extent that we can and like get through this moment um, in our teams, in our functions, in our organizations uh, with as few sort of battle wounds as we possibly can. It is interesting to me that you have both the person's internal narrative and storytelling that affects their membership and the quality of their membership. And then the external, you know, what are the other members doing and how are they creating those dynamics that you were just describing of in-group, out-group and power plays and all that kind of stuff. Because you could have somebody that like from the group's perspective is totally included who in their own head is like, am I good enough? Am right. I good enough though? Totally. And then they like go down that rabbit hole and, and are living in a state of, of, you know, not maybe not panic, but like kind of confusion or fear or, or um, questioning. And, and then by the same token, you could have someone that like actually feels really in and yet the group is, you know, really messing with or trying to play with that dynamic, which is why I believe that uh, explicit documented, you know, frequently reconsidered, um, you know, boundaries around membership. What, like, what does it take to be a team member here? Mm-hmm. What does it take to stay in good standing? What is it, you know, what, what do we expect of each other? All that kind of stuff can be really, really helpful mm-hmm. um, in, in avoiding any of that lack of clarity. And then also to your point from the human side, just remembering like once we know what makes someone, you know, one of us, then holding that with a bit of warmth and a bit of openness and some space and some room to wiggle I think is definitely the best way. And especially in crisis when you really don't want people wasting cognitive cycles on like, do I fit here or am I one of us? Yeah. And a thing we can't know probably about most of the people that we work with is like, where does their safety and belonging come from? So for some of us right now who are in our homes, we're kind of like, you know, whether we've lost jobs or we're working less or we feel less closely tied to the people we work with, like that's okay because our belonging comes from our family unit or our Mm -hmm. spouse or our home or whatever. But there are a lot of people for whom that's not true and their unit of belonging is their work team. And so right now could feel like an especially unsafe or scary or disconnected time because that's normally where they get that juice and now they're like missing it. Yeah. And I have to say as a founder type, whatever you want to call it, what I've experienced that I'm sure a lot of other listeners have experienced is that, you know, in some cases, members really think like my attention or my, you know, satisfaction or what have you with their with their presence is is 
the definition of that membership status, right? Mm. Like in the past, you know, if I, if I liked them, if I didn't like them, like that meant something to Mm -hmm. the system. And what I've, what I've tried to sink into now is more like, I actually just more care a a lot about the average of the rest of the system too. You know, I, I, especially as you're more decentralized and frankly, just bigger, you may not know everyone to a level where you can be the sole arbiter of their membership, mm-hmm. nor, may, nor do you want that, right, no. from a complexity conscious and people positive standpoint. Yeah. So, But I just know that like what I have been caught with before and, and remember is you know, sometimes people do need a little bit of attention from whoever they perceive to have power. Yes. And that, that's like part of that membership equation, which is interesting territory. Yeah. And right now, well, you know, I just, I was just talking to someone about this earlier this week and like this person who I think a lot of was saying basically she does not require a lot of external validation. And based Mm -hmm. on my observation, that is 100% true. (laughs) And there are a lot of people that look to her for Scooby snacks and they like really need her to be like, I see you. And yes, you're doing the thing that I hoped you would be. And like, without that verbally or in some other way from her, they question their belonging. And they're like, oh, yeah. like, am I, am I in? Am I out? I don't just like me. And it's like, you know, from her perspective, she's like, yeah, of course I like you. You're doing a great yeah, job. Yeah. Like why even? But that does, that does happen in systems. And right now, I think a lot of us have to be a lot more conscious and conscientious about giving each other reassurance. Yes. Yes. Because it's so much easier to look for reassurance of our membership and our status in the group from individuals than sure. from the group as an aggregate, right? Of like, course. What, this whole phenomenon of like, where am I reputationally across all of you is so soupy it's and so, so soupy. you know, cloudy that like, I, I feel like it's a lot easier to just be like, well, what does the boss think? Yeah. You know, and then we yeah. can all just like go to bed. Yeah. Um, so I get that. But I, I'd love to see us sort of transcend it to the extent that we can. Yeah. And so... Let's talk about some of the things that we should do and then maybe some things we should not do or stop doing that are okay. common. So um, when you think about creating safety and belonging and, you know, uh, people positive membership feelings in a, in a group, what are some of the practices that you would encourage? So I think there's the more like – tactical ones and then the more maybe emotional ones. So maybe it's like more, you know, I don't know, pragmatic or what have you, rational, and then uh, the more emotional. On the emotional side, I think this is a great moment for ritual. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when we do things together that become ritualized, that become kind of like people like us do things like this, as as Seth Godin says, like that builds that drumbeat of membership and just like go into the, you know, um, scout award ceremony where everybody gets patches like what like just go into the things that we do that make us are make us us i think is really interesting and so for groups that have those moments or those rituals you know really honoring them and for for groups that maybe have let that be a little bit more underdone in the past this could be a good moment to introduce something um Mm -hmm. where we where we get together and and i've seen a lot of really funny joyous you know, Zoom based gathering themes and, and, you know, protocols lately where teams are doing funny stuff together that starts to feel like the, you know, the basis of that on the more or uh, on the less serious side. Yeah. Um, and I also think there's room on the serious side, uh, you know, of, of creating those rituals or those moments of recognition. And I guess that kind of ties to the idea of ritualized gratitude as well, which is another one that I was going to file under that bucket of emotional reassurance. Like, 
taking the time to just say, hey, you know, like you like you started out today's check in with, what do I what do I like about this bunch and how yeah. do I how can I appreciate them? Right. It's funny. I showed up to a meeting this week and I had not been paying attention to what was happening in their team space. And they had all decided that that day to that meeting, they would wear something that represented where they were from. And (laughs) even though it's not a team that I'm like a part of, it really, I really was like, oh damn, I missed the memo. And like in a nice way, like in a nice way, I was like, good for you guys. Cause like you are creating a mood here. And I'm like kind of scrambling to figure out like how to, how to play. play? Um, But like even really simple things like that, like they work. Yeah, totally. I mean, we, you know, we wear, I, I remember when I went to um, an offsite at one of our clients, this was a, a government institution. They were all wearing the jerseys of like their sports team in this yeah. very like, you know, normally very formal financial setting. And I was like, whoa, that's, you know, and they were giving each other, you know, shit for it and, and pushing each other's buttons and all that. And that was a neat thing that they do. But I think, yeah, you, you just have to figure out what those things are. And again, they can be, you know, serious or they can be, they can be, you know, fun, but, but they need to be your thing. Right. Yes. I think that's right. And then when you have those things, you know, it's okay to make things like rituals, a working agreement that says, this is what we do when someone comes, this is what they do, what we do when they leave, this is what we do on their birthday. This is what we do, whatever. But like, then when you do it, do it consistently. Yep you know, hold, hold roles, like just do the rest of the OS work that you would (laughs) normally do, but do it around membership rather than around like structure or meetings, like figure out what the working agreements are, figure out what the practices are, figure out what roles it takes to execute those rituals and make sure someone holds them. So they don't just go completely by the wayside. Or, you know, what you see a lot of is someone who's like the group sort of like shaman and sense maker being like, I just feel like we need time to like Mm -hmm. process or share or whatever. And those are usually my people and they're usually right. But also it shouldn't be up to one person to have to figure that out for to name teams. That. Yeah. So, yeah. um, it, you know, I'd rather see those people in the space of like, what do we need to sort of right uh-huh. now, day to day or week to week ritualize to make us feel connected and belonging to each other. The best combinations that I've seen are groups where a handful of people decide to kind of upset the apple cart regularly with ideas and innovations, but not try to make them a thing. Yeah. And then identify the ones that work and make them a thing. Yeah. So they're like, it's costume Friday. And like, we'll see what happens. And they just, you know, and they just go for it. And then if people really engage, then somebody's like, all right, let's like name and repeat that. Yes. And I had a friend who informally created this, um, kind of, you know, weekend activity, which was like talk in a doc. It was a taco in a documentary kind of like dinner party. And, and it was one of those things that just emerged. And then it was like, no, talk in a doc is a thing. Like now yeah. we have to do this. Like this yeah. is, this is happening. I like that idea better than sitting down and being like, okay, let's twirl our mustache and invent a ritual for this culture. Mm-hmm. That that's tough. Like I think unless you really have expertise in that area, that is, that's a tough road to hoe because it is so stick. emergent. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So what are some other things, maybe more practical, tactical that folks can do? Other tools that we would recommend now that we would recommend always because they're always good and, you know, evergreen are user manual to me, which we have talked about on this show before. There are lots of versions of it that live on the internet. Go download them. User manuals are great when you have a new team member or when you are working in different ways, just as like a check-in and a refresh around preferences. 
often really good working agreements shake out of a user manual because if we all complete mm-hmm. our own and then we look at patterns together as a team, sometimes the natural next step is like, let's turn that into an agreement since we all have noticed that, you know, we prefer X, Y, or Z. So mm-hmm. uh, user manual to me is a nice way to connect and make space. And then team chartering. You know, we've talked about team chartering on this show before. It's a really crucial aspect of being in any kind of self-managing team. Um, but particularly as it relates to membership, it just helps us get really clear on how we contribute uh, to what the team needs to contribute to the org, what the specific roles are that we hold and, uh, you know, how those roles are valued and how we energize them and how many of them we hold and things like that. And then it's also just the place that we memorialize those working agreements that I just mentioned. So if you don't have a team charter in place, uh, now as we're remote and as things are changing very rapidly in a lot of our organizations, it's a really great time to make one. And like Allie and I, just because Alistair is joining us, we just like looked at ours today that we made like I don't know, like nine or 10 months ago and -hmm. thought, you know, we should have refreshed this anyway, but now we definitely will refresh it because we have a new person coming on and we want to make collective working agreements because this is our, this is membership of a new team because it's a new group of us. Yeah. There are things to not like about the world of sports, but the thing I like (laughs) a lot is when you join a serious sports team, they run you through that charter real fast. Yeah. It's like, all right, we all show up on time to practice. Anybody who doesn't, the group does a hundred laps. We, you know, we give 110%. We wear this, we do that. This is what we do for luck. This is like the whole, like there is a set of stuff that everybody knows that you don't violate and that you kind of show up to in order to be part of that particular team Mm -hmm. down to the secret handshakes that they have for each other. Like it's all part of it. And I do like that. And I, I almost wish that, you know, more more business teams were like that. We're like, you join us like, hey, welcome. Like, here's what we yeah. take really seriously, you yeah. know? And I think sometimes we're afraid to do that, especially in self-managing environments where we're, we're feeling like you can do whatever you want, however you want. That's the whole point, right? Um, well, yeah, but if you do that to the point where you're not coherent as a group, then what is the point? Right. So I think and that's, also, you know, something to step up on. To me, like, not really, like, that isn't really what we're after, right? In self-management. Like what we're totally, really yeah. after is that anyone can propose the way we're going to be. Mm-hmm, Not that mm-hmm. everyone just gets to be however to do they, whatever want they want all the time. Yes, yeah. And I feel like that is something that gets missed when you talk about self-organizing teams. It's mm-hmm, like, oh, mm-hmm. we just all have like so much free will and agency. And it's like, well, <laughs> you have the agency to propose something that right, we can to try all to shape the system consent to. But like, if you don't get anybody's consent, then you can just keep yelling at the sky. <laughs> You're not probably going to get a lot further than that. I think the, the thing to me that's really important about that and that I've seen in self-managed teams, including in our own, is that in the absence of doing that work of codifying, you know, what we do for luck and what time we do things and how we are, then it does default to informal power holders. And it does default to individuals going like, well, for whatever reason, my opinion on this is the right thing to do. And I will advise and coach people to be this way. And like that works sometimes. And Mm -hmm, that often mm -hmm. works not well at all. Right, right, right. So I think, you know, the reason to do this in a participatory way and in like a fairly democratized way is to avoid a lot of pitfall and dysfunction that happens in like dark corners and back rooms, which is 
membership of all of the fields of the canvas, I would say, has like the gnarliest shadow. Right. Yeah. The back door is like there's like oh, a whole bunch it's of like smoke real and ugly. Yeah. In the yeah. kitchen, you know, smoke and mirrors. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, <laughs> the and basement it connects, is a murder room of membership. It, it connects to the idea that, uh, or the, I guess that it connects to the polarity or the tension between monoculture and diversity, mm-hmm. between coherence and incoherence. And this idea that like, that is just not going to be an easy thing to, to dial in. And you're going to have to always be sensing into that and like yeah. deciding, all right, are we enough of an us that we that we don't need further constraint or are we like too far flung and too diverse and we're lacking center mm-hmm. and and that's to me that is one of those pendulums that just continues to swing a little bit in both directions all the time and you just have to kind of keep your arms around it and the the great part about getting explicit with with things like chartering and you know governing working agreements and all that on a regular basis is it just gives you a chance to like nudge it in either direction you know, as you go, like this has been too constraining. Let's loosen that up. This has been too unconstrained. Let's tighten that down a little bit. Like we're figuring out what makes us us. And Mm -hmm. that is not something you're going to get right in year one or year 10 or year 100. Um, It's, you know, it's a moving target. Yeah. And whether you're doing those practices or, you know, retros are another really great way to gather data to understand what we might need to talk about and codify in terms of our membership. The underpinning principle of all of that is that we do it together, we do it transparently, and we consent to it. And what I see a lot of out there in the world is that in the absence of that, we notice the tension, we very much want to alleviate the tension because we want to feel like we belong and we want to feel like we understand what it takes to belong. But then what we get is a lot of like, one-on-one and like a lot of triangulation. And, you know, I have, I have a lot of conversations with clients where they're like, yeah, I'm like trying to broker between these two people. And I'm like, get yourself out of there. Like that is not (laughs) a good spot to be in. And then the opposite of that or the other end of that polarity is not just forcing conflict. The third way is all of you agreeing on what we're going to do instead. And that's the miss, right? Is that, A lot of us who have influence and power in systems take on the role, sometimes unwittingly, just because people ask us to and we want to be helpful and kind, of like trying to like massage and broker and influence and negotiate behind the scenes to keep the peace. And that is a very tenuous piece, generally. Yeah, well, right, precisely because it's dependent on a linchpin. And I think the, the, like the main mission of, creating a more adaptive workplace, putting aside the people positive stuff for a second, is to have a system that's more resilient and more adaptive and more anti-fragile to to disruption. And yeah, if Aaron is the peace broker, um, yes. then, then we've already failed because like I could be hit by a bus tomorrow. So there has to be a more systemic approach. And I think it's more fun. Like it's not as if when you write things down or you have greater levels of agreement that all that stuff goes away, but it becomes debates and discussions and coaching around interpretation mm-hmm. rather than like starting from nothing, mm-hmm. um, which I like much better, right? Instead of like yeah. assessing like what is our way from blank, I'd rather be like, what is the meaning of the word responsibility here? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and like at least have something to jump off from. It makes it more nuanced and and that limits, I guess, the risk surface of it a little bit. Yeah, like what is our version of governing the commons? What yeah, are exactly. what are yeah. our Keep rules? This garden. And you know, start with Eleanor Ostrom's rules if you need some fodder, because you know, exactly. they're pretty tight. 
They worked. Yeah, they worked pretty well. Um, they come the one, from actual practice. <laughs> the one other thing I want to say about that is um, I have found a lot of utility. You know, you guys are now, we're in episode whatever, 90,000 of this ready for everything, ready for anything <laughs> 11. series. Or 11. Uh, you guys are all, you know, org designers now and you understand the OS. When you feel personal tension and it feels like a membership conversation, look really closely first at the other fields of the OS and see yes. if it's really membership. If it Because often it's like, I've got beef and what this comes down to is I belong here and you don't. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm, I am what we are and you're not what we are. And that's <laughs> the problem. But often there is something else going on there around strategy or around compensation or around resources or around information that is where the root of that tension actually lives. And so to me, like the easiest way to go from like JV to varsity org designer inside your own company is when you have the instinct to complain about someone, do it for a minute because it feels good because we're human beings. And then look at that canvas and be like, where does this actually live? Because it's probably not actually seated in membership. I love that. That's such a good place to start. And then you can decide, is this an issue where I think about coherence more strictly than my colleague does? Or is it actually about a gap in a missing piece of agreement somewhere else? Or is it that I really want to change the fundamental nature of like who gets in and who gets out and all that? Yes. I love it. All right. uh, We're going to wrap it up. Um, Rodney, this was great. I'm so excited to cross the finish line with you shortly. We're so close. So if you like what you're hearing on Ready For Anything and our podcast in general, please do leave us a review. We really appreciate it. And we really appreciate you guys and the sweet notes and LinkedIn messages and love that you give us. Uh, It helps us feel like members of a much larger community than our own little community at the Ready. So thank you. Plus one. Uh, A quick tip of the hat to Taylor Marvin for making us sound good, as he always does. Brave New Work is produced by The Ready every week, where we help organizations around the world change the way they work. And you can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at theready.com. And of course, as for you, thanks for listening. Now go change something. 